from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Well, this morning we're going to be in several passages of Scripture. We're going to start in John chapter 20 and ask a question, and then most of the answers are going to come from the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians 15. So I don't know if you've got enough Bible ribbons or ways to mark that in your Bible. That's where we're going to be this morning. And as we look at the question, it's not really a question. We're going to ask a question about a verse in John uh, 20. I want you to think just for a minute of a time when you were just really, really, really confused, right? And and if you could, think of one not in terms of something bad happened that caused the confusion, but something that was just funny or something that was just memorable to you. Now, I'm going to share one with you from me and Alana and our family. When we were living in Wake Forest, the city, not the college, before when there was actually still forest in Wake Forest, I hear now that there's no more forest left down there. Um, there was a donut store that opened up towards the end of our time there called Daylight Donuts. Anybody want to guess what store Gary went to often? We went to Daylight Donuts. You know why? Because they sold donuts and they were pretty good. We enjoyed those. We, we ate them often. So that, that went on. And again, this was about the time I, th- I thought I was graduating. I thought I was coming back home. And about that time, God said, nope, you're going overseas. So we end up going to Romania. We get to Romania, and, it, you know, when you're going to a new country and you're going to live there, it's, it's just really kind of weird. You get there, you know you've got to adjust to life, but you're just kind of hoping to get back to your apartment to go to sleep because you're so tired. And, and that's what we did. And about a day or two, when we had to get out, we decided to walk to the mall because the mall was about a 10-minute walk from our apartment. It was a really nice mall. It was three stories It was well lit, had all kinds of stores in it, and on the very top level, it had a food court. I'm three days in country. I am jet lagged. I turn around and look at the food court. Daylight donuts. (laughs) And I'm going, wow. They have a place in Romania and Wake Forest. I was so confused. I had no, I mean, it was just, I was standing in the food court looking at Daylight Donuts, and there's a part of me going, man, I know what they taste like. And there's a part of me going, why is there a Daylight Donuts in Bucharest, Romania? (laughs) That it, it just, it didn't make sense. I was confused. Now, later I found out that they're a chain, and actually there's still about four locations in North Carolina, right? But it just, in that moment, I was so utterly confused. We have those moments in our lives when something happens, when we look around and we see what's going on, and we just, we just don't understand. Again, it's nothing bad. It's just, it's really confusing. What is happening? I don't understand. When we come to John chapter 20, On the first day of the week, the first day following Jesus' crucifixion and burial, we have a description of what happens. And in verse 9, what we see in verse 9 is the disciples, well, in this case Mary, was very confused. 
This is what it says, verse, uh, John chapter 20, verse 1, down through verse 10. Pay attention to verse 9. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple to, to one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outrun Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus. Jesus' head, excuse me. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 9, they did not yet understand. In other words, they go to the tomb to prepare his body. We know the backstory. They, it was hastily prepared. They go to finish the preparation. They're going to the tomb. They're prepared for everything that's going to have to happen, to roll away the tomb, to go into the tomb, to prepare the body. They're prepared for everything. Except for a rolled away stone and an empty tomb. They were confused. And verse 9 makes it clear. They did not understand that scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So here's the question. Why must he rise from the dead? Why must Jesus come out of the tomb? What are the benefits for the resurrection for us here today? What are the benefits for the resurrection not only today, but in times past and in eternity future? Well, this morning we're going to focus on three benefits of the resurrection. And as I said earlier in the prayer, they are not exhaustive. But the first one I want you to see is this. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our salvation. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17, and we read part of it in uh, the responsive reading. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. In verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Did you notice that? It connects very specifically that if Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. Now, I know many of you are Bible scholars, and I know the first objection you're going to throw out at me. But Gary, but Gary, but Gary, I have been in this church and I have heard you preach that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we have been saved. So now you're telling me that it's not his sacrifice, but it's his resurrection. Good question, but you're asking it wrong. And here's why. This is, this is what we do. 
We compartmentalize everything, don't we? Right? We look at Jesus' life, compartment one. Jesus' ministry, compartment two. Jesus' death, compartment three. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, compartment four. Jesus' resurrection, compartment five. And and we've got all these little compartments here. And what we fail to realize and what we fail to understand is though they are individual compartments, yes, they work together to form a whole. You know this. You you, you know this, right? Last week or two weeks ago, uh, NCAA basketball championship, the LSU women won and the UConn men won, right? And we look and we say that the LSU team won. We say that the UConn team won. Now, answer me this. How many people are on the team? It's, it's not just an individual, right? If LSU went out there and stuck one female player on the court as they were playing Iowa, who's going to win? Iowa's going to win. The one person couldn't, couldn't defeat a team of five. So we, we, we understand this. The team works together to be one. Jesus birth. Life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection work together corporately to form a whole. You cannot remove one and still have the benefits of salvation. And you go, well, that's all fine and good, but it doesn't ask the question or answer the question. Why does Paul right here tie it into the resurrection? Why do we need that? to complete our salvation. And let me maybe answer it through an analogy. Let's say that you commit a crime. You go, you, you go and you, you rob a bank, okay? And it's just you. You have no accomplices. You didn't tell anybody. Nobody knows that you're going to rob the bank. But one day you just go, you show up, you rob the bank. You get caught, Again, no accomplices, no help, no inside information. It was just you. You appear in court. The judge looks at you and says, you're guilty. And I'm going to sentence you to 20 years in prison. No parole, no anything. You have got to serve 20 years from the moment, from the minute you go in, all the way to the end. And as you're about to be sentenced, your wife, your husband, your brother, sister, pick someone that's close to you, stands up and looks at the judge and says, wait a minute, judge, let them go put me in prison for their crime. And the judge says, okay. So in this scenario, let's just use me. I rob a bank. I'm going to prison. Atlanta stands up and says, no, judge, put me in prison for him. Atlanta's not done anything. She is innocent. No idea. Didn't help. Nothing. So she goes to prison, and she is in jail for 20 years. And here's the thing. As long as she is in jail, I am not cleared of my crime. Every single day, I have to wonder, will the judge change her mind? And say, you know what? Atlanta didn't do it. Atlanta, you come out, Gary, you go in. Every day that she is in jail for me, I have to live in fear 
that I'm not going to be forgiven of my crime because I did all the jail time. Do you know when that fear is gone? It's gone on the last day of the 20th year when the door to this prison is opened and Atlanta walks out. At that point, I don't have to fear anymore because my penalty has been completely repaid. The judge can't send me to jail anymore. But it took Atlanta walking out of the prison for me to have that freedom. Same is true of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As, as long as he is dead, as, as long as he is in the tomb, there is no assurance, there is no finality of salvation that we can be forgiven of our sins. But the resurrection has the power to do that. Romans 4, verse 23 through 25. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. So there's the crucifixion. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When Jesus walks out of the tomb, when he is raised and when the resurrection occurs and he walks out of the tomb, it secures and guarantees our salvation that the penalty and the payment for our sins has been completely and totally meted out. And we don't have to worry anymore because Jesus has guaranteed our salvation. But the second benefit is Jesus gives us Jesus' resurrection raises us to a new life. If you're in the book of Romans, you're in Romans 4 from then, we're going to Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As you go through those, that passage and you read those verses... We keep reading the words that we are alive, that, that we are alive, that we are alive. And we need to realize that what Paul is writing there, what Scripture is communicating to us, is it is a present reality. We are alive now. And it's made very clear. And it's made clear with a conditional. It says, if we died with Christ... Right? It's pointing to salvation. If we died with Christ, if we confessed our sins so that when Christ was on the cross and He took on our sins, our sins were nailed to the cross with Him. If we died with Christ, then we'll be raised to a new life. And so there's a legal framework, a legal 
argument that is going on here and where he's saying what is true of Jesus is true of every one of us who has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right? We confess that, that we, we are saved by grace through faith, not on our own works, right? And so when we are saved by grace through faith, we didn't die. We did not physically die. What died at that moment is our old sinful self. We die to sin, right? That's what it, it makes very clear. We know that our old self was crucified with him. What old self? Our sinful self, that the body of sin be brought to nothing, that it might die, that it might be crucified, right? The person you were before you were saved. And we, don't, we don't like to think about that. After salvation is a much better remembrance, memory for us, right? We don't like the before salvation, right? Some of us before salvation were liars and cheaters and stealers and just no good people. Some of you go, well, I was pretty good. No, you weren't. You were too. Because we were all sinners. That is what is crucified. That, that is what dies. Now, again, it doesn't mean that we are perfect. It would be nice if we didn't sin anymore. Right? Some of you raised your voice this morning. Hurry up. Get ready to go. We've got to go to Easter service. Shouldn't have laughed because now we know who you are. <laughs> right? But, but, but we did. We, we died to self. And then what happens? Right? What's the next step? We confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then what? Then, then, then we're baptized. Right? And baptized is, is that beautiful symbol of us being buried with Jesus. But let me ask you this. Did you stay in the water? If I baptized you, did I leave you in there? Depending on who you are, I may have left you under an extra minute. But I brought you back up every single time. Why? Because we don't stay dead. We are brought back up. We are raised to a new life. It is a new life that we live now. And we live it now. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And the empty tube proclaims that. Right? The choir sung about it. He is alive. He is our life. Our, our new life starts when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And our old sinful self is dead. We no longer have to live in, in to bondage of sin. No longer chasing the latest, greatest thing. No longer seeking after the desire of the world. No longer seeking after the desire of the sins that brought us despair and destruction and death. Now we live a life that is defined with words like love and joy and, and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We live a new, different life. And we live that life here and now because the resurrection of Jesus Christ says to us the benefit of being in Christ and that new life begins now. But lastly, the last benefit this morning looks to the future, and that is Jesus' resurrection secures our future resurrection. We not only have a present reality, we have a future hope. We have a future hope, and our future hope is to be raised to life after death. Back to 1 Corinthians 
15. Looking at verse 20. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. And we read that verse and we are reminded that we live in a broken world. We absolutely do. And the brokenness in this world is broken, is, is broken because of sin. It's not some external force. It's broken because of our sinfulness. There is no other reason. Now, there are a myriad of sins, yes, a myriad of sinful actions. But that sinful action leads every single one of us to the exact same place. It leads to the grave. See, we've got to understand something, and we need to stand firm on this. And it has to do with Genesis 1 and 2. When we go back to the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2, and God is declaring everything good, and then he makes man and woman, and he declares man and woman very good. In the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, there is no death. Death was not part of of the created order. Right? God looks at Adam and says, if you eat this, then on that day you will surely die. Death was not God's plan. Death was not, or, or not planned into creation. Right? Why, why would God, and, and think about this for a minute, why would God make death part of the good creation when he breathes his life into us to give us life and to make us like him, to have the Imago Dei, the image of God placed in us. Why then, after he declares that very good, would he then say, all right, now there's going to be death as well? It is sin, just like it is recorded right here. By one man's sin, by Adam's sin, death came into life. And you go, well, that's not fair that I die for Adam's sin. No, you die for your sin. I know it always comes as a great surprise to each and every one of us, but we're great sinners. But thankfully, we have a greater Savior. But that's where our sins are leading us to. But there is coming a day, there is coming a day when we will be resurrected. And we, we, again, we need to kind of navigate two truths here. Okay, truth number one is that when you die, if you die in Christ as a believer in Christ, your soul immediately goes to be with Christ, goes to heaven to be with God. We need to understand that and state that unequivocally. To be absent the body is to be present with the Lord. At the same time, we know something else. We know where the body goes. We're surrounded by bodies. We know where the bodies are. But there is coming a day where there will be a resurrection of our bodies and the reunification of our bodies and our souls. And, and you may wonder, why? What, 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 what does that do? What, what's the point? Well, again, it goes back to the very goodness of God's original creation of man and woman. Right? In the Garden of Eden, he didn't create two 
spirits to walk on the world, on the, on, on the earth. He didn't create unembodied souls. He took the souls and what did he do? He placed them inside of a body. And so there's coming a day when Christ comes back. When if we have died before then, that our bodies will be reunited with our souls. And we will spend all eternity in a perfected body. You will not spend eternity in, in some unembodied existence. You will have a perfect body designed to last for all eternity. And what sin corrupted in the garden, and then what we corrupted in our lives through sin is reversed on the day that our bodies are resurrected. And so we have this assurance, this assurance of truth then, that we're going to be resurrected not through our own power, but because in a very real time, in a very real space, in a very real moment in history, Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. And if he did not raise from the dead with a physical body, then we have no hope of doing that as well. But we know from scriptures that he did. When you read the, post, the, the accounts of after the resurrection, you, you read passages where people touch Jesus or he's cooking or he is doing something where you need a physical body to do. And Jesus has that perfect physical body. We read about it in Sunday school this morning. Mary Magdalene wanting to cling to Jesus' body. Now, I, 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 I want to be serious here, and I don't want to be silly, but I just, you know me, I think in images. If Jesus wasn't bodily raised, when Mary went to cling to him and grab him, it would have been comedic. Because if there wasn't a body, what's going to happen to Mary Magdalene? She's going to fall. She's going to grab nothing. But she doesn't grab nothing. She grabs the body of her Lord and Savior. And this morning, we have that assurance that we're going to be made alive now, yes, but there's a future time coming when we're going to be alive and reunited with our bodies. And while we're not given a, a total picture of what that will look like, we know that our bodies will be recognizable. They will be perfect. They will be imperishable. They will be free from all the curses of sin. I'm still looking forward to having more hair. <laughs> right? And it all is because Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Listen to this great promise from Philippians 3.20. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We would get a body like Jesus. Perfect body. And it all happens because he walked out of the tomb. This morning, as we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we need to realize and understand is the resurrection just in and of itself preaches its own sermon. 
It, it shouts to everyone that the greatest fear of humanity, that death has been defeated. It preaches that there is life and hope in Jesus Christ now and for all eternity. Because God in his great mercy and love provides a way for us to have victory over this death, over death. And it all starts, and it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ calls out to you to believe. Right? Because we know the verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but have you ever really thought about the second part? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. This morning, that invitation is not for me. This morning, that invitation is from Jesus himself. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.